The role of the CFO needs to look for those white spaces and step up and offer to help because we do understand the operational, we do understand the numbers, we do understand the strategic direction and we also have a very good external in perspective through everything that we do, whether it's corporate development, investor relations, all of the external exposure that you have is helpful too. From McKinsey's strategy and corporate finance practice, I'm Sean Brown and welcome to Inside the Strategy Room. You just heard from Claire Bramley, the CFO at Teradata, an American software company that provides cloud database and analytics services. Today, Claire joins us to talk about the evolution of the role of the CFO and how she uses insights from data and analytics to inform her scenario planning and decision-making processes. Claire spoke with Eric Kutcher, a senior partner based in our Bay Area office, who also serves as our chief financial officer. Their discussion touches on the importance of ESG and how Claire is approaching the potential risks and rewards offered by generative AI. Now, here's Eric. Claire, first of all, just a huge thank you and welcome. Maybe before we get started, just a few minutes on who you are and kind of what you want the audience to understand. Thanks for inviting me. I'm very excited to be here and uh, it's an absolute pleasure to spend some time with you, Eric, again. A little bit about me. So I've been at Teradata as the chief financial officer for almost two years. Time flies, but we have done a lot in that time, which is very exciting. I came from HP. I was the um, controller at HP and I had spent 14 years at HP doing many different roles in uh, several different countries and continents. And I think one of the things that I love about my experience is that it's been so varied. I started out as an accountant, you know, project accountant in my early days of my career. And I think I've always had that interest in technology because I started back in the day as a graduate at a company called ICL, which is International Computers Limited. It was a part of Fujitsu back in the day. So clearly that technology theme has come through uh, the years. I've always been in finance, so never been outside of finance, but try to get as much breadth and depth of experience over the years. And uh, HP and now Teradata have given me many opportunities to do that. Fantastic. We're waking up to headlines of yet another bank kind of being put into receivership and then um, purchased by JP Morgan, world of wars in Europe to geopolitics. What's life like as a CFO today navigating? There's no other word other than unpredictable right? And and so how do you think about your role and what you have to do to make sure your organization is able to navigate that unpredictability? Yes. As you say, unpredictable is a word that we've been using for a number of years now, I think since the start of the pandemic. Uh, and it's just continued to become more and more prevalent in every day, every week, uh, to your point with the most recent banking situation. Um, and I think just a lot of wariness out there in the second half of the year. And I think I have to say, it's a great time to work at a company like Teradata. When data and analytics are at the heart of everything we do, it's kind of really important for us to come back to what we do we need to make the right decisions and what is the right decision today? You know, is that gonna be the right decision three months from now, six months from now, 12 months from now? So being able to use data and analytics um, like Teradata drives for our customers is really, really important because it helps you to look at it, things from all angles. So trying to be agile, trying to be predictive, 
But also, I think one of the most important things right now for us as CFOs is looking at scenarios. I've never run so many different scenarios, uh, you know, when it comes to my long range plan, when it comes to budgets, even forecasts now, my monthly forecast process, I feel like I'm running multiple scenarios because you don't know what can happen. And that's hard because the CFOs, you have to give external guidance. Uh, we have to give some reassurance to the street and you're trying to predict and anticipate all the different things that can happen over the course of either one quarter or 12 months or even three years. I mean, we're, we're out there giving long range plan estimates. And to your point, there's a lot of change out there. So I think coming back to data, what I try not to do is not to use my gut feel sort of thing, not to use what feels right is to really, you can have a gut feel, but you have to be able to prove it out with data and analytics. And I think the other thing as well is knowing that sometimes you do have to move and you have to change directions and pivot sometimes on a dime. So that agility that you mentioned is really important. Having those early indicators, those early, what you can call them tripwires or information that says, hang on a minute, this isn't progressing how we anticipated. Is that a trend or is it a, a one-time situation? But making sure that you don't ignore those, making sure that you look at those, you understand those, and then you continue to evolve your thinking and your decision-making based on the new data that you're getting each and every day. And I think it's really important to surround yourself with the right team. My team at work and the team around me that I work with is so critically important to make sure that I'm not got any blinkers on, that to make sure that I'm looking at all different perspectives, all different data, because there's a lot of information out there. So it's important to, uh, to take that into consideration and see if it does change the course for any reason. There's so many things I can go. I, I'm not sure exactly which direction, but I'm going to start with data, right? Yeah. And you talked a bit about um, like running scenarios constantly. Teradata is a data company, right? It is a data and analytics company um, that frankly was one of the first that could ever actually both aggregate process, kind of make intelligence out of massive amounts of data. In your role as CFO, what are some of the examples of the way you use data potentially differently than the way you would have in the past? How do you think about the way you would like to be able to use data that you might not be able to today? Yes. So Teradata have been on a, on a huge journey. As you know, it's a transformation journey that we've been on for a couple of years now. And we are all about transforming people's lives and the way businesses work through data and analytics through the power of data. So that is our ethos externally. That's how we see our role in supporting our customers. We were born on-prem, you know, born on-premises, and we really um, focus on getting high performance data and analytics out of an on-premise solution. And in the last few years, we have moved to the cloud and just recently last year launched our cloud native version of our platform, which is uh, Vantage Cloud Lake. So for me, as the CFO, I'm customer zero for Teradata and using it, whether it's for the closing of the books, using it for predictive analytics, using it for analyzing different investments that we've made, using it for helping us with our long range planning. You can have as much data as the next person, but if you don't know how to use it, if you don't know what the data is saying, and that's where the analytics piece of it is. Uh, and Teradata front and center in terms of whether it's using AI or ML to really help inform customers and inform ourselves 
as to what the data is showing, what are the trends, and how can how can it help you potentially adjust uh, very quickly or predict uh, what may happen or what the different solutions are in the future. But data without insights is not helpful. And one of the things I talk about with my team a lot is, you know, you've got the data, you've got the insights, but you also need to communicate that and collaborate it. So you may have the the best insights that out there, but if you can't communicate it back to the business in a way that they understand, in a way that they act upon it and drive different outcomes from it, then it's wasted. Things don't just happen with a click of a finger. You have to work hard at making things move forward. You just talked about the role you're playing across the organization, right? And I think one of our beliefs very much is the CFO role has changed, right? The modern CFO is totally different. It is, despite your background, it is not an accounting role anymore. That is that is a small part of what you do. Describe your role for, for those that don't fully understand what it's like to be the CFO in the context of what you just said, which is it's end to end. Like, what is your role um, as CFO of, of Teradata? So having the finance background and the accounting background is helpful. Absolutely. I mean, it's good to be able to understand all of the, uh, you know, all of the disclosures and the Qs and the Ks. And and, and that's really important to, you know, it's, it's important to understand it, but it's such a small part of the role. It's an important part of the role, but it's a small part of the role. So especially here at Teradata. So how we support from a finance side, how we're driving the strategy, whether it's in the go-to-market organization, supporting the marketing team, supporting the strategy team, how we're enabling the different functions. I mean, my team are very much involved in all the work that's been done in R&D, for example, to make sure that where we're investing, why we're investing there, are we getting the, the right returns? But at the same time, we take it very seriously that it's important for us to understand the business so that the advice that we give is in context. You know, it's in context of what's happening in the external market. It's in context of what's happening as us as a company and the journey that we are on. My team and I take that really seriously. But to your point about the evolving role, and I think one of the recent changes I've made in the organization is reflective of that. So looking at things end to end, I've actually set up a new team that's hosted by myself, but I see it as supporting the whole company that really focus on process management improvement, program management, where we're helping to enable some of the biggest strategic initiatives across the company. So I've actually brought in a new leader with a few new uh, team members to be helping all of the teams across the organization on some of our big strategic projects. And we help from a program management standpoint, but we also help from a process re-engineering standpoint and making sure that we are looking at the downstream impacts the upstream impacts, you know, and that I don't think traditionally is a role that the CFO would have played. So we don't have a chief operating officer or anything, and a lot of companies our size don't. Uh, And I think it's really important for the CFO and the team to step up and support and help out. Uh, And that just makes it really more interesting. I mean, you have visibility of everything that's happening in the company, you have that platform. So you really need to decide how can you bring the most value? For me, it was bringing in this kind of strategic initiatives, making sure that we're looking at things end to end, helping the company connect the dots so that we can collaborate better and be much better at cross-functional initiatives. And I think the role of the CFO needs to look for those white spaces and, and step up and offer to help because we do understand the operational, we do understand the numbers, we do understand the strategic 
direction. And we also have a very good external in perspective through everything that we do, whether it's corporate development, investor relations, all of the external exposure that you have is helpful too. Claire, there's so much in what you said that resonates. What are the skills that you think of differently today than maybe even what you saw growing up at HP and in uh, other parts of your past that are important for you as you kind of put the financial organization together? Great question. The team is the is the core of everything I do. I, I couldn't do what I do today without a great team. And the one thing I would say for CFOs out there, if you don't think you've got the right team, the sooner that you can put in place the best team and the right team for the moment. And yeah, sometimes you have to change players because of the competition that you're up against, because of the transformation that you're going through, because you as a company are in a different place at that point in time. And so what I've been doing actually is I've been bringing in more external in perspectives. I want to keep those that have a really good knowledge of Teradata, really good insights into where we've come from. But it was really important also to have some external in perspectives as well. And one of my recent hires, for example, has a lot of experience in customer experience. So really making sure that we're putting the customer at the at the front of everything that we're doing. So as we make decisions as a function, and again, it's not just finance, it's finance, IT, operations, security, but we are thinking about the customer. Is this the right outcome for the customer? Is this going to make a difference for the customer? So that's one of the changes I've made I think one of the other things as well, which is really important in this period is risk management. So taking a different approach to enterprise risk management, how do we look at that? And I very much see it's really important to be proactive. It's really important to be ahead of it. But again, it's really important to be in integral to everything we're doing as a, as a company. I don't think enterprise risk management or internal audit and, and things like that should be sitting there on their own in isolation. So we've kind of made some changes there to just change the culture of how we look at risk management. And you know, and you see it happening where teams, they could be sales teams or they could be product teams. They're actually pulling in my audit team. They're pulling in the risk management team to say, can you advise? Can you consult? Can you be involved with us at the beginning of this conversation as opposed to just coming along afterwards and doing an you know an audit at the end? So that's really important. And I think that's important in today's environment because it is so volatile. There is a lot of risk out there. And it ensures that when we make those decisions, and we, like I said, we look at the data and the insights of decision-making, we are also looking at our company's risk appetite and the way that we want to manage risk. And it's not an afterthought. Love those two additions. I think they're two that all of us can learn from. I, I probably hadn't thought enough about the enterprise risk management and when I first, before I got in the role. Now it's certainly something I spend a lot of time on. And at the end of the day, we do what we do because of our of our customers or our clients, right? And if we're not thinking about what we're doing to make them more successful, then frankly, it's not abundantly clear what our purpose is. So I am I, I love both of those. You talked about look, data is interesting, but it's the insights that come out that change what we do. What are the one or two insights that you'd be comfortable sharing that everyone would go, wow, like. I wish I had thought of that. I wish I had I'd kind of used analytics to help drive that type of decision-making that we weren't doing before. Yeah, I think one of the things that uh, we've had huge value from as a company is as we're doing kind of our planning, forecasting, and, and long-range planning. And we did a lot of work on data and analytics. 
to kind of say, what are the potential different outcomes and what are the different ways you can approach it depending on what happens with our customers and what they need, depending on what happens in the macro environment, et cetera. So I think one of the things that we've really got a huge amount of benefit from it is that long range planning. So I feel comfortable now that I've got a good way to track how we're doing against our, our plan. And we've made some outlook estimates, but I know I felt comfortable reiterating and updating our 2025 goals at the beginning of this year, because I know that there's lots of different plans behind that and that this is the best plan, is the most likely plan, and this is the plan that's the right thing for us as a company. But that doesn't mean I've not got five other plans that, you know, if something doesn't happen according to what we're expecting or we have a surprise, we can then we know what we're going to do. We're not going to be scrambling and saying, oh, this is different to what we expected. Okay, let's re-pivot and, and we have to make it up on the spot. We are ready to go. We have multiple plans ready to go, depending on the outcome. And I think a lot of companies did this at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, in terms of, you know, how long is this going to last? How Remember the, the recovery? Everyone was trying to predict how long the recovery was going to be, how long it was going to take. I don't think anyone got it right, to be perfectly honest. And, um, but, you know, what was going to happen? And I think I've taken that kind of approach, and now we do it all the time, all the time for our forecasts, all the time for our long-range planning. And you can't do that without good data. You can't do that without good analytics. Uh, and what we can now do is obviously track as we move through that, to make sure that there's no reason why losing momentum on the, the current course of action, which, you know, at the moment we're not, which is great. We're doing really well, but it means that you can move in a very agile way and you can um, make sure that you're ultimately doing the right thing for the shareholders. And it helps us as a leadership team know what course we're on and know the decisions they're making and why we're making them. But we would be able to pivot very quickly to another alternative if need be and they're all up to speed because we spent a lot of time talking about that as a leadership team so long-range planning scenario planning predictive analytics are they really important right now in the current environment to give you that confidence that you know that you're on the, the right path to really do the best thing for the company and drive shareholder value what i love about that example is i think we all have this notion of we look out three or four years and there's a bunch of assumptions we have to make Right. Yeah. And and we make assumptions the best we can with a set of facts that we have at the moment. And that fact base will evolve and how each one of those assumptions evolve will play back into how do we really think 2025 or beyond begins to look. And I think what you're saying is we now have been able to isolate what those are. We're able to predict with greater certainty what the outcomes of each one of those assumptions is, what the range is and how they interplay. And that comes back. And so, by the way, I know if in six months where I'm off, because this assumption doesn't seem to hold. What are my degrees of freedom? What are my levers? How do I begin to evolve? Which allows me to narrow the range of outcomes, even if the range on the assumptions isn't. I, I think it's, it's a great example. So thank Absolutely. you. Yeah, that's exactly it. The, um, the, the other thing I just have to ask about, because it's, you know, it's like the topic du jour, which is Gen AI hmm. in finance. How do you see, how do you see Gen AI, especially when you think about predicting, right? How do you see Gen AI evolving what we do? I'm actually really excited about it, but by, by the way, we can ask chat GPT the answer yeah, exactly. and the stuff we want. <laughs> what kind of response we get. So I'm really excited about the future of generative AI, whether it's as how companies can use it, 
how finance can use it. I think there's many great use cases uh, where it's going to add a huge amount of value to us as teams, as functions, and as a company. However, it's a journey. Uh, and there's a lot around it with regards to um, ethics and compliance that should not be underestimated. So I think it's important that we do it intentionally. I think it's important that we do it thoughtfully. But also, I do think that it, there's a great opportunity out there. And finance, IT, security, I think there's many things we can be using generative AI. I've had many case studies of people out there using it. We at Teradata, all of the functions are currently looking at what the potential use cases are. And I think there's many across many different functions. And then we're going to say, what are all the can-dos? And then we need to look at kind of like, okay, but what makes sense from a risk compliance, ethics, integrity standpoint? And this is another great example where the risk team needs to be involved from day one. They can't come in at the end and go, oh, well, that doesn't work or this doesn't work. So having a conversation upfront about generative AI, about what your risk appetite is, and that will be different by function. Then it's like, what are all the great ideas and things that we want to do, that we could do, that we want to pilot? And then we can look at, okay, what will we do? What makes sense? What do we think is going to drive value uh, and, and in line with our overall risk appetite? But from a finance standpoint, I think to your point, predictive forecasting is going to be interesting. I've had companies use talking about it with regards to investor relations and all of the work that goes into that kind of thing. I've heard people talking about it in terms of where you've got operations, so credit and collections and things like that, how that you can predict people's payment profiles and, and that. I mean, you can do some of that anyway with the data that we've got. Um, how do you use it for support? So whether it, you know we run payroll, like payroll support and questions that come in, this is just finance. Yeah, I am super excited about when I look out a few years. I think we're still a few years away from where this is going to profoundly change some of our of what we do. You talked a lot about shareholders and there's no question we as CFOs think a lot about our shareholders. Business Roundtable made a big push that we're moving from pure shareholder capitalism to stakeholder capitalism. And one of the things we think a lot about is ESG. And so we just love kind of how you're spending your time as CFO thinking about ESG, everything from the reporting requirements to how do you actually change and make the world better? Yeah, so I'm I'm the co-sponsor of the ESG Council here uh, with our Chief Legal Officer, Molly Treese. I think we do that because we believe that we can drive value, but also because we believe in it personally. And, and you know, m most of the, all of the leadership team here at Teradata believe and know that this is the right thing to do. Some of the things that we've been doing here um, at Teradata. So first of all, making sure that you have the right people at the table and making sure that you have the right experience, the right expertise, both internally and advising you externally. One of the first things I did for ESG when I got here was isolate some funding, you know, some funding and some resources that we can spend on ESG that's protected, that's going to get spent on the right things. And it's not the first thing to get cut, for example, if there's um, budget cuts needed sort of thing. So identifying resources identifying funding of those resources and as a CFO, making sure that they are a priority because you're not going to get an immediate return on investment on those, but the long-term return, long return on investment on ESG is huge. It's just massive. So any companies out there that are not focused on this and don't think it's important, 
I can tell you now they're going to regret that decision in a couple of years' time, not just because of the disclosures, but just because it's what people want. I believe that we are attracting talent because of our focus on uh, ESG, including you know diversity, equity, and inclusion because of the culture that we're driving. I know that you know we have 50% um, male and female gender diversity on our executive leadership team. People look at that and think it's amazing. People join Teradata because they see women leading the company from the top. I mean, that's just a small thing, but it, it's a return. It's a return. You've got great talent coming to the company. Investors. Investors are looking to invest in companies that take ESG seriously. You know, So I think from a return standpoint, this is huge. Uh, and I think it's something that as corporate citizens is something that's really important for us to take seriously. Now, we're a software company, you know, like data and analytics. So it, it's it's easy for us to be able to use that, use that data, use that analytics to help our customers ensure that they are putting in place the right ESG programs. We can do that internally. I also run uh, IT and real estate, really other great ways that we can reduce our carbon emissions here at Teradata. We've done a big data center consolidation, for example, to, that significantly reduced our carbon emissions as a company. So we're, I'm driving that. Uh, with my team very aggressively. So there's just so many different things. We've, you know, put in place financing and sustainability metrics around uh, that financing. But I think what's what's really important is to have that structure. We've got this great kind of pillar, uh, strategic pillars specifically focused on ESG and everyone knows what we're doing, why we're doing it, you know, and we're pushing, you know, pushing the boundaries and coming up with a plan of where do we want to be you know, what's our vision and mission when it comes to ESG and what's our path uh, to get there. So it has to be intentional. It has to, you have to make a big effort. I spent quite a lot of time on it, honestly, from one week to the next, because I know it's going to bring a lot of value to us as a company to back, giving back to our community. Um, and because, you know, I'm very passionate about it. I love it. I love it. Um, by the way, I think this notion of it is, it is a generational shift, right? I think um, our people that we're hiring today care deeply about this. And so they are going to hold us to a higher bar. And by the way, they are the employees, but they're also the customers. And so I think this is a big deal. One of the things we've done that I'm quite proud of is I think we were the first in our industry to insert a internal carbon tax. So we also, we actually charge people for their carbon usage um, as a way to remind them of what they're actually doing, which so far, so far, so good. We'll see how it plays out over time. All right. My last question, and then I'm going to let you um, drill away at me if you so choose. Um, uh, you're a relatively new CFO, as you said, two years in the role. What advice would you give to another new CFO? Ask questions. Don't ever stop asking questions. You you learn something every day. You know, whether it's from day one or now coming up to two years, I'm still I'm always learning. So keep asking questions and just never never stop learning. It's really, really important. There's, I surround yourself with people who are willing to give you advice, who are willing to give you feedback and uh, listen to that feedback and listen to the advice. It's it's really important. No one person it can do it on their own. It's all about the team. I talk to my team. So our, literally our motto in uh, in my function is collaboration and expertise wins. And because you can be an expert on everything, but if you're not collaborating and working with other people, you're not going to be successful. And the more open and, and trusting you are 
with your team and other people around you, the more then they give back to you. And I think that's really important. It's uh, it's not a fight out there with your teammates. It's not, you know, we're not trying to one-up it. We're really trying to support and help each other and, and listen to their feedback, listen to what they have to say, listen to their ideas. And it doesn't matter where they are in the company. I tend to do like skip levels and try and speak to as many people across the organization as possible. And I think everyone has great ideas. So just just because you are the CFO, I mean, it's very prestigious. It's very exciting. It's you know, it's an amazing place to be, and and um, I'm, and I'm proud. But I can't. I can only do a good good job if I listen to the ideas, the feedback, and the inputs of everyone around me. Now that doesn't mean that you you act on all of those ideas. That's where you need to bring in you know, your analysis, your data, your decision-making processes and, and thought processes. So you're not going to act on every idea that you get. But if you've never heard that idea, if you don't listen to that idea, then you're, you're not in a position to act on it. By the way, that advice is applicable to everyone in any role, because That's the true. reality is we all go in with a set of beliefs or a set of experiences, but it's those questions, if you take the time to reflect on them, and ask what's behind that question, there probably is a kernel of something that it's worth exploring. And not everyone, not everything leads to a change, exactly. but there's something in that question that is worth the kernel of exploring. So Claire, thank you. Um, you may have a question or two for me. If I, if I, if you're, if you're so willing, I'd be happy to try and answer. Absolutely. I'm not going to um, pass up an opportunity to ask you questions, Eric. So, um, you know, in your role as well, and at your, and, and, at your company, so at McKinsey, you have great visibility of what's going on in many companies. You have great visibility of what's going on, you know, for CFOs, for finance functions. What are you seeing out there as a trend uh, in the last two to three years? And how do you expect that to change uh, in the next couple of years? In terms of finance and the CFO, I think what you said is what I'm seeing, which is the role of the CFO has evolved. And I think in many ways has become the strategic architect of their institutions, of their firms, of their companies in a way that I'm not sure we saw years ago, right? And it does come from the ability to see everything that you described, the ability to actually help allocate or reallocate capital differently. The notion of resilience today is really important. And what does that mean? And I don't think of resilience as just defensive. I think what we're hearing is it's both defensive and offensive. And, and so I am seeing a ton today of the defensive moves. I'm going to cut costs. Right, whether that is the headcount reductions, whether that is procurement, like there's an enormous. Let me find ways to create the headroom, so I can make the investments that I think will allow me to accelerate through this period of uncertainty. the The thing I will also say is, I am seeing CFOs saying we can't make ten bets, we can make one or two. Yeah. Right, and so they are forcing a level of focus in the organization today that I don't think was there two years ago as we were like in this moment of just amazing expansion. And so I think the CFO role is really the strategic architect, but with a healthy dose of operational um, resilience built into that. And and so I think that's kind of what I'm seeing. Uh, no, I, I, I mean, I can agree, agree more uh, in terms of some of the comments that you made. What are you most excited about over the next one, two, three years in your role? And from your perspective at McKinsey, what are you most excited about? So Claire, we're making this shift from what we would call insight partner to, to impact partner. And we've been on this journey for a long time. 
And I am really excited about what that means in terms of the impact I think we can have on the world at large through our clients. I think in many places in the world, the need for talent and the unique talent that I think we have is probably more than it's ever been because the complexity of the world that we're operating in. And so the ability to not just serve a client, but to partner with a client, with an institution, both individually and collectively to help change the trajectory of that business and in doing so change their ability to impact the world, whether it's on sustainability, as you described, or diversity, as you described. These are issues where, you know, we can't do that alone, but we can because of the reach we have through our clients really make a difference. I am very excited about that. Um, I am also very excited about what that means for our firm in terms of a broader definition of the skills we need, right? We are doing this through some acquisitions that frankly, we would never have made if we sort of stayed within the swim lane that we were in and didn't want to think about the bolder ambitions we have for our clients and the ability to achieve. We would just not be in some of those spaces. And I think that makes us a more exciting and more interesting firm in part because the diversity of our people, and it's not just diversity in terms of gender or in terms of um, orientation or religion or any, it is like the experience base of that group is just different. And, and so therefore what they bring from a thoughtful, I, I just, I get very excited about that as I look forward. You just get energized, right? You get energized about what you're doing every day. So Claire, with that, I just wanted to say thank you. My absolute pleasure, Eric. Thank you for inviting me. And uh, I had a great time. It's the time has flown by. So that's it always has flown by. <laughs> Many thanks to Claire and Eric for taking the time with us today. And, and thank you to all of our listeners who joined us today. As always, if you'd like to share feedback or an idea for a future podcast, just email us at itsr at mckinsey.com. You can also share your ratings and reviews on your favorite podcast player, we really appreciate all your comments and feedback and encourage you to please keep them coming. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to subscribe, just follow our weekly series on your favorite podcast player, where you can also access our entire library of previous episodes. We also offer an Inside the Strategy Room podcast collection page available at mckinsey.com ITSR, where you can easily search over a hundred prior podcasts across six major themes and also access written transcripts of all of those conversations. Finally, if you'd like to receive alerts on our latest publications and insights, you can sign up on our practice page at mckinsey.com SCF for strategy and corporate finance, follow us on Twitter at MCK strategy, or connect with us on LinkedIn at the McKinsey strategy and corporate finance practice page. Thanks again for listening. We look forward to having you join us again next week inside the strategy room.